Prices out of control, inflation rising, industries screaming out for materials, parts, qualified workers. How is it that Hollywood isn't feeling this? How is it the media aren't scrambling? Questions worth answering, but where do you get those answers? You get them here. TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. Thankfully, we have some of those questions answered for you today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live, a production of Truth News Network, truthnewsnet.org. Thank you for joining us. I don't say that enough. Let me just say it again. Thank you for joining us. Thank you because you're voluntarily choosing to be a part of something. You're making a commitment and it takes from your time and I get that and I don't take it for granted. We just appreciate you being here every day. This is a service to you. What we do is a service. This is a non-monetized website, a non-monetized two-hour Monday through Friday conservative talk show, interactive, by the way. None of it's monetized. It's 100% a service to our readers, our listeners, and our followers. And when I say follow, let me just point something out. If you have not yet subscribed to truthnewsnet.org, and subscribe's kind of a uh, a funny word in this context because you're not subscribing, you're not paying anything for a subscription. So what do you get for the subscription? All it means is that every time a story is published and goes live on the website, truthnewsnet.org, Org. Late that night, you'll get an email that says, hey, a new story is going up on truthnewsnet.org. And in that email, there'll be a link to that story. It's just something to make it a bit easier for you. You don't have to go to the website homepage and scroll and look. You just click on that link. It takes you right to that story and you read it. We're honoring your time and we're saying thank you for joining us. So go ahead and subscribe. How do you do it? On the front page of the website, truthnewsnet.org. Bottom right side. All it asks for is your name and your email address. That's all you do. From then on, you'll always get a link to every story that goes up so you don't have to go searching for it. Well, 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 here we are. We're on the back half of the last week of the year. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we're done with 2022. Now, what are you going to do about processing your 2022? It's all behind us. There's nothing we can do to change any of it. So we're on the show this morning. We're bringing in one of America's greatest philosophers to talk about just that. And it's somebody I know you've seen a lot, you've heard a lot, and you're going to believe him even more today after Phil Robertson weighs in about what's in our rearview mirrors and how to handle it. Phil Robertson of the Duck Dynasty. Uh, Let me tell you something real quick about Phil Robertson that very few people know. He was a quarterback at Louisiana Tech University. He went to school, but he was a big duck hunter. 
and football kind of interfered with his duck hunting stuff. Let me say this. He was an amazing quarterback at Louisiana Tech. Now, there's another amazing quarterback that came out of Louisiana Tech. The other one we're talking about came out behind Phil Robertson. Now, who might that be? You may know him as the Blonde Bomber. A lot of people know him as Terry, Terry Bradshaw. Let me tell you how good a quarterback was Phil Robertson. Terry Bradshaw will tell you today, the only way he ever got on the field to play quarterback at Louisiana Tech was when Phil Robertson, he decided, had enough of this football thing. I'm going duck hunting. Robertson was a better quarterback than was Terry Bradshaw. Well, Phil's done a lot in his life. He's been very successful, obviously, with the Duck Dynasty show. They have another series on now that is just hilarious. All those guys are hilarious. I know a couple of them personally. And uh, Phil's, he's a very staunch Christian. And when you see a guy like him that looks like him, you know, that long, long beard, looks like a hippie, You wouldn't think that he is, but he is. And he's a very wise guy, still loves to duck hunt. You're going to hear from Phil Robertson this morning. But as is our new standard, oh, by the way, we've got one more big element on the show that you need to know about. Why? Because you probably want to make a few phone calls about this one. You know, our partner on Tuesday, Steve Robertson, Steve Robertson. No such person, Steve Baker. (laughs) I guess I just made Phil Robertson have another son, huh? (laughs) Steve Baker has been telling us for the past two Tuesdays that he has been back in D.C. working on a blockbuster story has to do with the January 6th, quote-unquote, insurrection, the riot, whatever you want to call it. We didn't know anything about it. Couldn't get him to tell me anything. Well, Steve, he's ready to go public with it. And instead of waiting till Tuesday, Steve Baker is going to join us with the facts, the truth of what's going on. And he's naming names. You're going to love this tell-all. He'll be in his normal time slot, 10 o'clock this morning. Steve Baker joins us with the tell-all. Oh, my gosh. Can't think of a better way to start the show. And I'm going to dedicate this song. Our buddy James Posey, big Carpenters fan. This is one of my favorite. Here's Karen and Richard and the gang, the Carpenters, with Superstar.
to you was their first big hit late in 1969. It was a big deal because the group sang in amazing four-part harmony that nobody in rock and roll fundamental music had ever really heard anything about. It was around, has been around ever since men and women started singing. Three-part harmony is the common one, but when you add in that fourth, oh my gosh, it makes the harmony sound angelic and, uh, they were the best there is, the absolute best there is at four-part harmony. Nobody's been better than them since then. Okay, okay, down to business now. How about some news from Chi-Town? Haven't heard much about it lately, have you? Some Democrat-run cities are more violent than our war zones on the planet. There's a new study out that found that military-aged men in the most violent parts of Philadelphia and Chicago, listen to this, are more likely to be shot dead than those who were deployed in Iraq and Afghanistan. Can you believe that? The study also looked at New York and Los Angeles, but found there was less risk than in Iraq and Afghanistan in those cities. That, my friends, (laughs) that's a blockbuster news story. In a study that was published by the JAMA, J-M-A, network, researchers at Brown University and the University of Pennsylvania, they discovered that young military-age males from zip codes with the most violence in Chicago and Philadelphia 
had a notably higher risk of firearm-related death than U.S. military personnel who served during the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. While Chicago and Philly were discovered to be areas where young males are more likely to be shot dead, researchers found during the study of 129,826 young adult men living in Chicago, Philly, New York, and Los Angeles in 2020 and 2021 that the most violent areas in New York City and Los Angeles were associated with less risk for young adult males than these theaters of war. The study noted that in all zip codes looked at, the risks were overwhelmingly borne by young adult males from minoritized racial and ethnic groups. The study only looked at these four Democrat-run cities. There are various other Democrat cities that have higher murder rates than even Chicago, according to data from the first half of 2022, While they were violent to begin with, all four of these cities, Chicago, Philadelphia, New York City, and Los Angeles, poured gasoline on the fire in 2020. How'd they pour gas on the fire? They defunded their police departments. There is a direct correlation to violent crime ramping up in these cities, and all four of them defunded in part their police departments in 2020. The risk of firearm death in Chicago's most dangerous zip code was found to be three times that of the risk of being killed in combat in Afghanistan, four times the risk of death in Iraq. Someone living in that zip code has a 6% chance of being shot each year. The top 10% most violent neighborhoods in Chi-Town all had rates of violence higher than Iraq and Afghanistan. Now, while the study looked at four U.S. cities, the most dangerous than a war zone hardly applies to only these four. According to the stats available through the first half of 2022, New Orleans, Baltimore, Birmingham, St. Louis, Milwaukee, Cleveland, Rochester, Atlanta, Kansas City, Washington, Richmond, Oakland, and Cincinnati all had higher murder rates than Chicago. And in the second half of this year, New Orleans, in my state, the Crescent City, has become the murder capital of the United States. Every one of those cities, I'll read them again, New Orleans, Baltimore, Birmingham, St. Louis, Milwaukee, Cleveland, Rochester, Atlanta, Kansas City, Washington, Richmond, Oakland, and Cincinnati, those cities all had high higher murder rates than does Chicago. Every one of those cities, every single one of them, and then you throw Los Angeles, Philadelphia, of course Chicago, and New York, they're all run by Democrats. Now, is that something that... Um, you got to go, ah, there's no correlation there. (laughs) I'm sorry, folks. There is a correlation there, and it's a very obvious one. We need to wake up. Democrats need to wake up. Leaders in these big cities need to wake up and understand. Yeah, there may be a, a bad apple in the police force 
There are bad apples in any group of people that get together. There's no doubt about it. But the police forces are absolutely necessary. You want to see the continued degradation of your cities? Keep demeaning your police forces. Just keep on doing it. If we have time in the show, we're going to let you listen to what is happening to the police force in New York. I'll just give you a hint right now. Probably won't surprise you to learn that a bunch of cops in New York City, they're all moving down to Florida. (laughs) And it's not just because of the violent crime. It's because Florida's police forces across the state are paying more to their cops. And they're also believing in their police forces, encouraging them, and they never talked about defunding their cops. If we have time in the show, we're going to let you hear from that. Well, we got another bombshell dropped in our lap. In response to Western price caps on Russian oil, Vladimir Putin yesterday banned any export of oil. Guess where to? The United States and other group of seven in European Union nations. The Russian ban, which applies to all Russian oil and other petroleum products, will go into effect February 1st, be enforced until July 1st. According to the Kremlin, oil exports to the affected Western nations, uh, they can still occur, but only if Putin grants it in a special order. This month, December, Western nations imposed a price cap on Russian oil that prevents the price from going over $60 a barrel. The move was designed to punish Russia for this war in Ukraine, and any nation that sells above the price cap can lose access to insurance and other financial services that are essential for oil shipments in international waters. Analysts say Russia's recent profit-making from selling their high energy at really high energy prices could be subsidizing in the months ahead, bringing more pressure on it over its war, which also has brought sanctions against individual Russian officials too. We very seldom talk about that, but when they start sanctioning individuals and the individuals they sanction or those oligarchs, those filthy, rich, multi-billionaires, the ones that have big yachts and houses all over the world. You remember the early going of the war? Some of those oligarchs, a big string of them, found their um, big yachts that they kept in places like Italy, France, down in the Bahamas. They were just taken by these international sanctions that were put on them. Now, the oil market didn't actively respond quickly to Putin's decree, with the benchmark Brent oil price going up less than 2% Tuesday. U.S. oil rose above $80 a barrel. Russia has rerouted much of the oil it once shipped to the West, instead sending it, guess where? China, India, and Turkey. And they're sending it there with deep, deep discounts. In other words, they're trying to punish everybody that's against them 
and trying to reward their allies in this war against Ukraine. Isn't it amazing how big a deal the price of oil and the availability of the unavailability of oil makes major, major changes in every nation? It's not really a big deal to this president, as he proved on his first day in office. He immediately canceled that XL pipeline contract and the permits for finishing it. And, of course, that will some will say, well, you know, that doesn't have anything to do with oil. That, that pipeline wasn't finished. Well, if he hadn't done what he did, it would be now. And what would that mean? Millions of barrels of oil that are coming out of the middle part of Canada would be now, instead of going to the west coast and the east coast of Canada on trains, they would be going into that pipeline in south-central Canada, right down the middle of the United States in the XL pipeline, going to our ports of Houston and New Orleans for distribution around the world. Tens of billions of dollars of revenue would be coming into our federal government, but because Joe Biden, he bowed to the Green New Deal sycophants, he canceled it, he laughed at energy production and producers, and look where we are in our energy, in our demands now. When he was elected president, we were energy independent. We had all the oil and gas we needed We were selling it overseas, our excess overseas. We were actually making money selling to other nations after we took care of our own. Oh, but he's a Democrat. You know, they can just do anything they want with impunity and laugh at anybody that disagrees with them while we're going to the gas pump and paying, at one point, three times more than we were paying for gasoline when Joe Biden was elected just because he didn't think that he should keep it going because he didn't want his green energy contributors to get mad at him. Speaking of Joe Biden, he's our commander-in-chief. We all know that. But he's our liar in chief too. What are you talking about, Dan? Well, let me tell you what. We have these lists that come out every year, the last week of each year, of the more of, a list of this, the worst than, the best than. Well, we've got a list of the top lies that Joe Biden has told, and it's not just in the last two years of his presidency. Our liar-in-chief has been lying his entire career in government. Well, what about before he got in government? He's never had another job. You may not even know this, but Joe Biden, the only job he's ever had is as politician. And so because he's a politician, always has been, you can book it. There are some whoppers in his wake (laughs) and we've grabbed a bunch of them. You don't want to miss this. Liar in chief, Joe Biden's up next. Oh, Egg McMuffin. Good call, babe. Fresh cracked egg. That's oh, all the fruit in here. Mmm. We've got to try this, honey. Oh, you're not my honey. 
It's so club. <laughs> the simple joy of getting lost in a great breakfast. It's actually how we met. <laughs> you. I pass through the trees. I leave behind the mountains. I weave in the air. I fly over the birds. And I wish when I complete my journey, I leave behind a better world. Honda Civic Hybrid, India's first hybrid car with IV Tech engine. Leave behind a better world. You get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. So much, I'm going to have to speed things up. You can get the claim-free discount, which gives you money off your homeowner's policy if you've been claim-free for three consecutive years. Also applies for three successive years, three years straight, and what's known to insurance fans as the claim-free three-peat. Get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. Start with a quote by calling 1-800-FARMERS. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Now for the legal something. Not available in every state. Only available with select farmers branded policies subject to terms and conditions underwritten by Farmers Truck or Fire Insurance Exchanges or Affiliate. Wendy's famous 4 for 4 is heating up with a new spicy crispy chicken sandwich. The queen of spice is delivering that spicy chicken you love with lettuce and mayo between two deliciously soft buns. And yes, in classic 4 for 4 fashion, you can get all that spicy goodness with spicy or crispy nuggets, fries, and a drink to cool off, all for just 4 bucks. Is it getting hot in here? Or did Wendy's just deliver the hottest deal in fast food? We got you. Offer includes four-piece nuggets, junior frying, value drink. Price participation may vary. In a world of fake news, the truth will out. Truthnewsnet.org. Dan Newman. Well, we were just talking about Vladimir Putin, and I want to get you thinking about that as we go back to what we are going to uh, blow your minds with. No, we won't. We won't blow your minds with any news about Joe Biden. The top 15 most outlandish lies in Joe Biden's career. That would be in politics, right? Well, maybe a little before that. How about the first one? Joe lied about his law school grades. He claimed all the way back in 1987 that he graduated in the top 50% of his class at Syracuse College of Law. Top half. Well, his class had an 85 in it. So guess where that would put Joe Biden based upon his claim? It would put him at either 42nd or above. In a class of 85, he finished 76. Number two, Biden falsely claimed in 2022 he was arrested for trying to see Nelson Mandela. You remember Mandela in South Africa? Well, the Washington Post. Oh, they go all in anytime for Joe Biden, right? They said he lied. He was not arrested. Number three, his first job in 2021, just a year ago. Biden claimed in Idaho his first job offer was from a local lumber and wood products business, Boise Cascade. The company said, now this is Boise Cascade. They're talking about the president. They came out and said there's no record of Biden's claim. There's no record of even a job application by Joe Biden 
to Boise Cascade. Number four, visiting a synagogue. He claimed in 2021 he visited Pittsburgh's Tree of Life synagogue, where 11 people were murdered back in 2018. Now, Biden did speak to the Tree of Life rabbi, but he's never visited the synagogue, as he claimed. Number five, unemployment numbers. He claimed just this year, in 2022, unemployment was the lowest in 50 years, down from 6.5% to 3.5%. Dead wrong. Big lie. The unemployment rate was 3.5% under, hmm, who might that be? How about the orange man, Joe Biden's predecessor? Sixth. Biden said, oh, I went to Afghanistan. I visited Afghanistan. He claimed earlier this year he went to Afghanistan and Iraq twice as president. The New York Post marked Biden's claim as a lie. Number seven, Naval Academy appointment. He claimed in 2022 he was appointed to the Naval Academy back in 1965 by the late Senator J. Caleb Boggs, a Republican of all things, from Delaware. A search of Boggs' records? Eh, there's no evidence to support his appointment of Joseph Biden to the Naval Academy. Number eight, now this one's especially egregious. Joe had a son named Bo. Brain cancer took him. The president said Bo died in Iraq. He's claimed twice in just the last year, that his late son, Bo, died in Iraq. Bo died in a hospital in Maryland. Number nine, Joe falsely claimed in 2019 he never discussed business deals with Hunter. But Joe Biden left Hunter a voicemail in 2018, we've all heard it now, about a business deal with Chinese energy giant CEFC, That directly contradicts Joe's statement in 2019. Here's what the context of that phone call said. Hey, pal, it's dad. It's 8.15 on Wednesday night. If you get a chance, just give me a call. Nothing urgent. I just wanted to talk to you, he said. And he continued, the president did. I thought the article released online, it's going to be printed tomorrow when the Times was good. I think you're clear. And anyway, if you get a chance, give me a call. I love you. Number 10, Joe said he has been in all 54 states. (laughs) Do I need to tell you? I don't even know if that should be on a list of lies. I honestly think the president must think there are 54 states. Oh, my gosh. Number 11, passing student loan legislation. Biden falsely claimed earlier this year he passed student loan forgiveness. No student loan legislation has been passed through Congress. He lied about that. And that one, I promise you, he purposely lied about it. He wanted to make the dumb American people that he thinks we all are, oh, they're too stupid to know That was just an executive order. It wasn't legislation. So I'm just going to tell them and they'll believe what I said. Number 12, he was raised by Puerto Ricans. (laughs) 
He claimed early this year he was, quote, sort of raised in the Puerto Rican community at home politically. I mean, that's a quote. He was sort of raised in the Puerto Rican community at home politically. (laughs) I have no idea what that means. But Biden told the BBC he's Irish. Media reports suggest Biden is five-eighths Irish stemming from two Irish families. He's not raised by Puerto Ricans. Number 13, gas prices. He falsely claimed the price of gas is down from over $5 when I took office. The day before President Trump left office, the national average price of gas was $2.38. The day he was elected, I paid $1.65 a gallon for it. It was a regular price of gas in northwest Louisiana at the time. Number 14. He said, I've traveled 17,000 miles with the Chinese president. Biden claimed in 2021 he traveled 17,000 miles with President Xi Jinping of China. The Washington Post marks Biden claims with three Pinocchios. Number 15, inflation is temporary. We all know about this lie. He had people in the financial wing of his administration, marched them out. Oh, we got to tell the American people that, yeah, we have inflation, but it's transitory. It's temporary. Before his statement, inflation had raged for months. About six years later, six months later, inflation is still soaring, but it's only 7.1%. Wow. You know what? (laughs) There are more Joe Biden faux pas out there. We could spend all day just listing, and you could probably call in and give me dozens of them yourself that we didn't mention. So let's do something. I told you if you just joined us, you didn't hear, but I told the people early in the show, Steve Baker, you know, the last two Tuesdays, he comes on every Tuesday at 10 o'clock. He has told us, about his continued being in Washington, D.C., because there is a blockbuster story that is about to break nationally, internationally, that involves the January 6th stuff and people whose names we've never heard mentioned. Well, last night, Steve made a, a major Twitter dump himself, not Elon, Steve Baker, and he's coming on the show in about 25 minutes, and he's going to tell us exactly what's going on there. But speaking of Twitter, I'm sure you heard over the holiday weekend, Twitter files dump number nine came out. What is in its contents? I thought you, looking ahead at Steve talking about some of the other stuff, I thought you'd like to hear the details of the contents of Twitter files dump number nine. Listen to this, the ninth installment of the Twitter files have been released, this time dealing ha- deal- detailing how several government agencies interacted with the platform. Matt Taibbi saying, quote, the files show the FBI acting as doormen to a vast program of social media surveillance and censorship, encompassing agencies across the federal government from the State Department to the Pentagon to the CIA. 
He also says that more aggressive government partners had closed Twitter's window of independence for struggling to validate their claims of foreign interference. Here to react, former acting U.S. Attorney General Matt Whitaker. Attorney General, good morning to you. Merry Christmas. Good morning and Merry Christmas to you, Carly. Well, the news certainly isn't stopping when it comes to these Twitter files. And now we know that it wasn't just the FBI. It was also the CIA, the Pentagon, the State Department all had relationships with Twitter and, and other social media platforms as well. So what do you think the nature of these relationships were? Well, it, it, clearly the, the relationship was to suppress free speech. I mean, ultimately, it was under the guise of uh, reducing foreign influence, uh, I guess, in American elections especially in 2020, but you just saw the DHS, DOD, uh, CIA, FBI, and, and, and state governments, and the Democrat National Committee all had an, a door into Twitter that they could moderate uh, accounts that they disagreed with or felt were, were uh, too effective in communicating uh, an opposing viewpoint to what they felt should be on the platform. And, you know, Twitter was clearly the right-hand of uh, the federal government in moderating speech. There's an interesting um, Twitter back and forth that took place yesterday, and it starts with California Congressman Ted Lieu, who's a Democrat. He posted a tweet saying, Elon Musk, Matt Taibbi, and Michael Schellenberg are gaslighting you with their misleading Twitter file posts. Here's the truth. The FBI's Foreign Influence Task Force does threat uh, indicators sharing with companies. That's a good thing. He also said companies decide what to do with that information. But then Matt Taibbi responded saying, Congressman, why is a foreign influence task force sending Excel spreadsheets full of joke tweets from low follower accounts in Maryland, Kentucky and Ohio. Why does the FITF, the foreign influence task force, spend so much time reviewing domestic speech? I think that's yeah. the key question there. You're right, Carly. That's absolutely the key question to this whole thing is, is why were these accounts that were, you know, uh, sharing jokes essentially and memes uh, it had very few followers. Why were those coming on the FBI's radar? Why was this Foreign Influence Task Force spending their time moderating speech by Amer the Amer American people? I mean, the Supreme Court and the law is very clear. The speech is is uh, fairly broad. You know, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. But other than that, uh, there is a very broad ability of Americans to speak their minds. And in this case, you know, the, the FBI seemed to want to clamp down on that. And, and now we're seeing it wasn't just the FBI. It was all of these other agencies as well. Yeah, that's right. And this new dump of Twitter files shows that the FBI was sending so many requests to Twitter that um, Twitter employees were overwhelmed by the amount of tweets that were being flagged. So now that we're getting a peek behind the curtain, what do you think? Do you think the FBI is going to back off when it comes to monitoring speech? Well, I, I would guess that the FBI still feels they have an important role in foreign influence and making sure that our, these social media platforms aren't used uh, to harm the United States of America. But obviously, where that line is drawn, they've right. had a hard time and struggle with that. So I would imagine they're going to do some soul searching to make sure that they aren't infringing on uh, Americans' rights to free speech. Yeah, it would be very interesting to hear from the FBI director himself, Chris Ray, on where he stands on all of this. Right. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Like I said, Merry Christmas to you and your beautiful family. Merry Christmas to you too, Carly. Thank you. Absolutely. So this Twitter file stuff, it's not just a bunch of stuff. It's really significant. And we hear, we've heard five different versions of dumps 
And every one of them reveals more and more wrongdoing, not just by Twitter, but by Facebook and Google and Instagram and all all of the big social media platforms. And the stuff they're doing is in direct contravention to the freedom, the liberties given to us, confirmed for us by our forefathers in the First Ten Amendments, specifically the First Amendment. So the FBI, the CIA, they're all in this up to their eyeballs. And so a question came out yesterday to Goodwin, Dave Rubin and Harmeet Dillon, you know who she is, a attorney. She's very, very politically active. In fact, she's thrown her hat in the ring to become the boss at the Republican National Committee going forward. Well, she joined Dave Rubin, and they talk about what can the people do about that wrongdoing? I mean, think about it. We know what's happening. What can we do? Of course, you can cancel your social media accounts, but what you've ever spoken or written, as we all know, it never goes away. It's always out there. What can the people do about it? I think you're going to want to hear this. It's a, it's a big eye-opening thing for me. We're not just left with no ability to push back against big government. That's up next at TNN Live. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. In the steel industry, we dedicate our careers to supporting this country, making products to build infrastructure and skylines, creating jobs, supporting families. And when domestic materials are used, the money stays in our communities. That's what really matters. These people, these places, that's worth supporting. Starbucks Via Instant is made with the same 100% Arabica beans served at Starbucks. So it's the only instant with the rich, delicious taste of the Starbucks coffees you love and takes only seconds to make. Starbucks Via Instant, the only instant coffee of its kind. Available in black flavored lattes and iced coffee. No doubt you've heard about this subliminal seduction nonsense. You know, commercials that are supposed to have hidden messages in them. Well, Baron Saloon denies any use of this so-called mind control. After all, Barron's is seductive enough as it is. Get in your car and come right now. What with a 16-page dinner menu crammed with delectable items... You're starting to salivate. 30 dinner items under $5... Keep out, say big bucks. ...and a happy hour that lasts from 4 till 8 p.m. Obviously, Barron's has that rare combination of good food. Take out your wallet. Good fun. Give us your money. And good prices. Give us your cash. So let's put this subliminal seduction nonsense to rest. Nobody can do your thinking for you. Come to Barron's. You either want to come to Barron's. You do, you do. Or you don't. But boy, oh boy, you do, you do. Barron's. Airport and South Academy.
buddy Steve Baker with us every Tuesday to discuss the the underbelly of the United States government. He is back with us at the top of this hour. He's he's here today as a follow-up. Remember, he's been telling us for two weeks, hey, there's something that's big, really big, going on in D.C. He's been there researching it. It has to do with the January 6th debacle, but he couldn't tell us what it is. Well, he's come out, and he's going to give us the facts of it. So he joins us at the uh, top of the hour. I got a text from him early this morning, and uh, instead of waiting until Tuesday, he said, you want to blow their minds today? So we've told everybody that's tuned in. A lot of you come in late. I get it. You can go back and get anything that you miss by just downloading at one of uh, our podcast websites that are out there. You know them all. You can get any show in its entirety. So if you missed the first part of the show, any show, you can go back and get it. But now you know he's going to be with us in just about 15 minutes. Now back to Dave Rubin and Harmy Dillon. We're stuck with this thing. I mean, it's one thing to know for a fact big government is out there They're watching us. They're monitoring us. But it's another thing for them to tell a private company what to do or what not to do regarding the suppression of our First Amendment rights. Now, remember how those First Ten Amendments came out. It wasn't the government telling us, here's what your rights are. It was exactly opposite. Our forefathers were so afraid that Big Brother would actually take control They restated the rights that belong solely to the American people by pinning those first 10 amendments to make sure those are emblazoned in constitutional law forever and government cannot touch them. So we now know government is looking at us. They're violating our first amendment rights. Is there anything that we as citizens can do Because after all, it's the government. And if there is, what can we do? If I was to find out, for example, that the government directly had contacted Twitter to take down the tweet that I had back in July of 2021 saying that vaccine mandates were coming and vaccines were not working uh, as as promised, et cetera, et cetera. If I was to find out if through these Twitter files or whatever it might be, that that actually it was because of a government agent telling Twitter to take it down, what is, what is the reward for someone other than that the, maybe the government would acknowledge it? Can you sue the government? Like, can you be like, well, I want 10 million bucks because you guys infringe on my free speech? Or is it just purely just, yeah, we screwed up, it's back up, and nobody gets fired, this is the government? Well, we have been suing the government. The case I just described is like that. And in the Ninth Circuit, I, I think we ran into a, uh, Let's just say we haven't received the ruling yet, but it was not a favorable reception in the Ninth Circuit. I pray that, in fact, at the end of the day, these Twitter files actually started to come out after the hearing. And so maybe, you know, the clerks and the judges will see that Wait, Whoa, this is actually a huge deal. It isn't this isn't a one off. This is actually a whole system that's been exposed. A case like that filed in a different court might have succeeded, but actually under Twitter's terms of service, you have to file it here in California. You know, so it's 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 been a challenge. 
I'm confident that over time there will be a case that breaks through that says that this is a violation of the First Amendment. I do think it is. There are some First Amendment lawyers who say, oh, no, the companies can do whatever they want. It was merely a strong suggestion from the government. But here in the <laughs> right, right, Twitter right. files, Twitter was actually being paid by the FBI. I mean, I don't know how you can deny that that's government action. It's, it's government action, obviously. So I'm sorry I'm very animated about it, but I'm shocked that judges aren't picking this up. Right. Well, also, if the government was to call me, if I got a call from a government agent saying, Dave, we're not telling you to do anything, but just FYI, we've been watching the show and you've been saying a lot about that. I might take that as as a threat or some sort of order. Yeah, that's, or, that's why the, the gray area here, obviously, is where the, the real stuff is. Right. I mean, or, you know, nice social media presence and show you have shame if something were to happen to it or, you know, maybe there's an audit, you know, like literally the government has so much power over us. Um, we're seeing it with January 6th stuff. I mean, they can a crime and harass you. And so it, this is not trivial to me. And by the way, I, as a First Amendment lawyer, I would stand up for the rights of some leftist to be able to say whatever they want on social media. Mm -hmm short of threats of violence that are true threats or other violations of enumerated parts of 230, pornography and things like that. Um, but that does not seem to be reciprocal. The left has entirely abandoned the principle mm -hmm. of due process, equal protection for speech issues on the right. The ACLU no longer supports yeah. free speech. They don't, they don't support you being able to talk about gun use. I mean, it is, it is a 180 and it is just a wholly a woke, woke endeavor now. And so we, the right, have become the engine of free speech. And even on our side, people don't get it. So I'd love to see a whole revolution on our side about these issues. If you're looking for more honest and thoughtful conversations about politics, instead of mindless drivel, check out our politics playlist. And if you want to watch full interviews on a variety of topics, watch our full episode playlist all right over here. And to get notified of all future videos, be sure to subscribe and click the notification bell. And I echo, I don't normally allow anybody to do a, uh, a commercial in these sound bites that we play for you, but I really like Dave Rubin and his podcast. He's out every day and you can check it out on YouTube. It's free to subscribe. He always brings some good contact and pretty much every couple of days will bring you something like you just heard. I hadn't thought about that. What can we do to stop our government? But we can't. Now, Harmy, in, in, uh, she indicated at the very beginning of it, she was talking about, did you hear her say Section 230? Now, what is Section 230? It is a, a federal regulation, a regulation, and what it does, it prevents any kind of, commercial liability. Now think about this. Facebook, YouTube, um, who else? Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, all of the social media outlets. They cannot be sued by you and me if they allow anybody out there to publish or write a story that is professionally or personally so offensive, it causes us grief or problems or even cost us money. We can't sue them, even if it's a lie. Now, where did this come from? Well, in the very beginning of social media, the big guys went to D.C. and said, look, we're a private company. 
But we are not participating in the content that people post on our site. So you've got to indemnify us against lawsuits or say you can't sue Facebook if somebody posts something that's a bald-faced lie and it cost you a bunch of money. We're sorry about it, but you can't sue Facebook. That's called indemnification. So they have no liability under Section 230 for any of the content that appears on their websites. Here's an idea. Let's just do away with Section 230 protection. Now, what would that mean? That would mean you and I could take legal action against Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, anybody that's a social media outlet, if they allow something that is purposely wrong and hurtful and costs somebody anything, we could sue them. Oh, my gosh. You don't think they would lock down on the content that shows up on their sites? If they didn't, there'd be lawsuits, people standing in line at their front door suing them for all of the bad, untruthful things that are allowed to be posted on those sites. Do I want to go there? Look, it's a quid pro quo thing. You take responsibility for your content. You do it. In other words, instead of trying to look out there and find politically correct actions that need to be taken because you are now Facebook, uh, Google, all of them are listening to the federal government, which they can't directly infringe upon the rights of the First Amendment against the American public. They being the government can't. But social media giants can. And so they have been calling regularly, holding telephone conversations daily, prepared, planned, talking about the specifics of accounts on those sites. And sometimes they're not saying, you know what, you need to take that down. But sometimes they are saying that. What is that doing? It's infringing upon the First Amendment. Our First Amendment rights, the government can't do that. They can't tell another company to do that. It's unconstitutional. So you want to sue your government for doing that to you? Go ahead. Harmy Dillon said, look, you can sue the government. She's suing the government regarding wrongdoing that is happening to other people out there. It should empower the American people to know that just because this government does something doesn't mean they can do it with impunity. There are recourses that the American people can take. Novel idea. Remember, we don't work for them. They work for us. Now, they don't like to act like that. They don't like the American people to even think that's true. But it is. You remember that thing? Declaration of Independent Government of the people, by the people, and for the people. It's not government by the government, of the government, and for the government. It's the flip side of that. They may not want to talk about it, but it's true. Well, 
I'm sure there are people listening, maybe sitting in an airline terminal somewhere. Weather has just excoriated transportation at the worst time of year, Christmas holidays. Southwest Airlines, their woes are continuing. They canceled over 2,600 flights just one day, Tuesday alone. These issues of getting places began days ahead of Christmas as that massive winter storm, it, it, it battered the entire U.S. It impacted us here. We had 10-degree temperatures in Shreveport, Louisiana. That's not supposed to happen. But it was worse elsewhere, obviously. We didn't get any of the, the snow or other types of precipitation. But while other airlines, other than Southwest, experienced disruptions, Southwest has failed to regain its footing. They canceled thousands of flights day by day. Christmas Day, they canceled 1,635 flights. That accounted for over half of canceled flights related to the U.S. that day. The next day, Southwest canceled 71% of its flights, 2,909 specifically. This whole situation didn't see real improvements through the day on Tuesday. Southwest canceled 64% of its flights, 2,694. There were 3,211 canceled U.S.-related flights on Tuesday alone. Southwest, they made up 84% of those cancellations. They were on track for another dismal day in terms of cancellation yesterday, 2,508 canceled flights as of 10 o'clock yesterday morning. So in a Christmas Eve statement, they have to come out and say something. They attributed the operational challenges to the weather, contending that Southwest was fully staffed, prepared for the approaching holiday weekend when the severe weather swept across the continent. In that same statement, it warned that during their recovery operation, they're calling it now, recovery, flights would be scaled back by flying roughly one-third of its normal schedule. Southwest CEO, guy named Bob Jordan, he apologized in a video released Tuesday evening, said the airline's going to continue working on a reduced flight schedule with hope of being back on track before next week. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? We're looking looking at New Year's now. (laughs) I can't imagine. Now, it's not like Southwest Airlines is brand new. Hadn't been around very long. They've been around a long time. Governor Abbott in Texas, he's, um, he's banging the door of Atmos Energy because of the energy company's failure to prepare for winter weather and a winter weather event, just like apparently Southwest Airlines didn't do. Yesterday, the governor called for an investigation into Atmos after customers in parts of Texas, they didn't have any natural gas to heat their homes during the frigid temperatures over Christmas. He wrote to Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton and Railroad Commission Chair Christy Craddock asked them to find out what he called Atmos Energy's failure to prepare for winter weather was all about. Many customers of Atmos Energy in north and central Texas went without gas for an unacceptable time because of failures of Atmos 
to provide adequate residential and commercial gas service. Besides that, the governor said the city of Grand Prairie, which is a big city, a suburb of Dallas, was forced to open a warming center for residents, and the customers reported they couldn't reach customer service representatives. This is unacceptable, the government said. Atmos Energy, like all gas utility providers, has a duty to provide life-critical services to its customers. I mean, that's just across the border for me. Um, I can't imagine that. I I just can't imagine it. Well, we told you Steve Baker was going to join us. And and, uh, I think I heard you talking in the background. Are you there? Are we there? I'm here. Well, I heard me talking in the background. (laughs) Well, this time I was looking for the right button to push. Okay. Actually, you must have had the show on. We've got about a seven-second delay, so I was hearing myself. No, it's, it's off. Oh, really? Well, it's, well, it's off. Okay. Well, it was probably better. Are you with hearing the, yourself with, still? It was probably better when it was just me. <laughs> That's it. Come on now. Well, at least I was listening to the show. Come on now. You've got a great sense of humor. You can chuckle about it. Yeah, man. I'm with you. Okay. Well, I warned <laughs> the folks. I told them that uh, your coming back wasn't because you had a a horrible medical condition to talk to us about, but you're coming back to do what I got busted. You didn't. I got busted every one of the times I mentioned in the last two weeks that you were working on something big, but you couldn't tell us what it was. Uh, And you came on the show two consecutive Tuesdays and you teased it, but you wouldn't tell us what it is. And I was excited to find out that you have all of that put together. And I got your Twitter dump last night, which I thought was very enlightening and probably brought up more questions in my mind that it did give the answers. After all, it's Twitter and you can only do so many words right. in each tweet. So I'm glad when you early this morning said, hey, do you want to go ahead and tell the people now instead of waiting till Tuesday? Absolutely, I do. Mr. Baker, the floor is yours. Well, man, I hate to disappoint you, but I still can't tell you the good stuff. This is uh, this this tweet storm I did last night uh, was about forty four different tweets in a row consecutively. And for those of uh, your listeners who don't follow Twitter and know how that works, you can you are limited on a per character basis per tweet, but you can also then link those together and and and. Uh, string a narrative or a story together in a single tweet. And a lot of people like that. They, they, they are getting to the point like this new uh, Twitter files thing that we've been watching that Elon has had several other independent journalists that are doing this type of Twitter dump and people are enjoying that type of thing. So I thought last yesterday, as I was actually writing an article uh, about what I'm, we're about to talk about now, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to give it a shot and I'm going to release this as a tweet storm rather than a traditional article. So uh, the, 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 the bottom line is, is that I'm still sitting on the good stuff. I still can't release the good stuff, but I have enough information from my research that I was able to cobble together from all the public uh, available sources to actually introduce introduce somebody that was a key figure in the January 6th uh, 
story that most Americans don't know about. Now, obviously, uh, attorneys know about her and people like myself that are doing investigative work on this story that we, we, we have known about her for a long time. But there's, there's so much more yet to come. But let's just go ahead and, 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 dive, and dive into this. I, I want to I introduce your audience, for those who did not see the tweet storm last night, to uh, Miss Yogananda Pittman. Yogananda Pittman, that's a mouthful right there. Now, she was, on January 6th, she was the United States Capitol Police Assistant Chief for Protective and Intelligence Operations. And as a matter of fact, she was the one, or is at that time, she was the one that oversaw all of the United States Capitol Police intelligence-related entities. And in that tweet storm, I even published a graphic, you know, uh, flowchart of what, or what departments she, the intelligence divisions of the United States Capitol Police that she oversaw. Basically, what I'm saying, Dan, is anything related to the intelligence of that event had to come across her desk. Hold on, hold on, hold on right there, hold on right there. Mm -hmm. You're telling us that this woman, and what's her name again? Yogananda Pittman. We'll call her Miss Pittman. Okay, Miss Pittman was the person that was during that day, she was totally in charge of receiving and disseminating via radio, I assume, to all of the Capitol Police Force information regarding the details of things that were expected to be going on and were going on. She was the... More importantly, importantly, she was in charge of the intelligence that happened and that was received before January 6th and the days and weeks leading up to it that she then failed to pass along to not only her downrank commanders, but also the frontline officers that were defending the Capitol that day. Now, that's not a little bitty thing. I mean, that should have been one of the things that was front and center when this January 6th committee, if you can call them a committee, it was a kangaroo court, but they should have had this, at least this, had her testimony in front of the committee. She didn't even testify, did she? Uh, to my knowledge, she did not testify for that committee, but more pointedly, and certainly this is something which a lot of questions are being asked about, is how could somebody with such an important role, and let's not un- understate or overstate what her role is, she was the assistant chief that day in charge of intelligence, and secondarily, she was sitting in the command center, command chair that day, monitoring and uh, watching or listening to all the radio transmissions from the United States Capitol Police as events were unfolding. She also was sitting in that, you know, big swivel chair in their command center where she had access to all the closed circuit television cameras. And there's dozens of them around the campus. So she could see those all as everything happened, as every breach of a barricade, every breach of a door, smashing of a window, uh, attack against one of her officers happened. She was able to see those things happening on screens in her command center. And yet she did nothing. Okay. Now break it down for us. What things were going on? And obviously she missed them. And so the people that worked for her, that she was connected to during these many hours of all this stuff going on, did she not do things that if were done would have changed the results of what we saw? 
Well, let's just talk about uh, the, the, the order of the day when it comes to the ranking and the command structure of an organization like it will, like most any large law enforcement uh, uh, agency. In this particular case, she was the number two to chief of police, Stephen Sun. So she, in fact, her call sign is unit two. Uh, so I'm assuming then uh, chief of police son on that day, his call sign would have been unit one, but her call sign being unit two, she had the, the command over everyone else below her in that structure, whether they were inspectors, whether they were captains, lieutenants, and she was AWOL. Now, when I say AWOL, as I said already, she was watching the screens. She was on the radio. We did hear her voice twice uh, on those radio calls, but she was otherwise AWOL all day as her officers on the front line that were taking a beating in the battle areas. The, and and let, let's, let's be honest. I know a lot of people, particularly from our persuasion, uh, political persuasion, don't think that uh, a significant level of violence took place on January 6th. Well, I'm here to tell you that I was there in Sullivan Eyes, and it did. There was, in fact, even deadly force used. It wasn't successful, but there was deadly force used against some of those law enforcement officers from some of these rioters. And so they, they were up against it, and they were, they were obviously outnumbered by the thousands in the crowd. Now, thousands in the crowd were not attacking officers. It was just a few dozen and up to a couple hundred, maybe, that were actually engaged in violence against those officers, but those officers didn't know that. They didn't know that it was only a couple of uh, a couple hundred ne'er-do-wells that maybe uh, we might have learned also that they may have been paid instigators. But the point being is, is they didn't know it. They're just looking out over that crowd and seeing thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people continuing to come up on them. Can you imagine the fear that they were under at that time, not knowing what was uh, on the belts of those thousands of people approaching them? Point being is, is that Miss Pittman could see all of that as well from the closed circuit televisions because they had they had cameras mounted not only pointed at the Capitol but obviously from the Capitol building pointed out. They could see every single corner, every quadrant, every approach point uh, to the Capitol from those uh, CCTV cameras. So her her, her missing, the, her her missing, or not doing these things, relaying that information to her officers that were literally uh, on the front lines of everything that was happening. They were scared to right. death. They had to be fearful. They had no idea how bad it was. And remember in the buildup to it, they were told for weeks and weeks, ah, there's going to be some people, uh, but it's not really a big deal. Even though the FBI and other agencies had informed House Speaker Pelosi and Majority Leader Schumer in advance that they probably need to consider having not just the Capitol Police in mass there and armed, but they turned down even having National Guard agents that Donald Trump, then president himself, yes. reached out to the military and said, look, we need you to be in Washington, D.C. We're getting word there's some bad stuff that's going to happen. Pelosi and Schumer said, nope, and they had the say-so over the president because it's the U.S. Capitol that they control. That's right. They're, that's their building. But on that day, it was actually uh, Pelosi and McConnell. Schumer was not in charge yet. Uh, 
had not the Congress had not turned over yet, uh, and and McConnell was still in charge. Wow! So it was actually McConnell and Pelosi on that day, and their two sergeants at arms, uh, they uh, um, Irving over um, Mr. Irving over the House and Sergeant of Arms Stinger over the Senate. They both also in in the published testimonies that we have claimed that this that their uh, how do we put this that those that they were answering to felt like that having the National Guard on site that day was not a good look for the Capitol. And that <laughs> that was basically the reason for it being turned down. Not for political purposes, not for any other oh, reason. Yeah. Not that they, oh, yeah. you know, that yeah. not they oh, felt yeah. like that they yeah. weren't prepared, oh, yeah. but because they didn't think it was a good look for the Capitol that day. Both Pelosi and McConnell live in a world of symbolism over substance. If it doesn't look yeah. good, we can't do it. Forget about the fact that uh, there are going to be thousands of people that are injured and uh, a lot of ne'er-doers out there doing all kind of stuff and probably would be much more. How did all of this come together and this woman be sitting at the head of it that day and none act, no actions were taken? And this is this is what I've been able to put together, as I said, from open source information that we have, because as you know, and as we've talked about, you know, in the last couple of weeks, I have another stack of stuff, another pile of information I can't talk about yet because it's still under court seal or it's marked as sensitive or highly sensitive by the Department of Justice or they are FBI documents that are still marked sensitive. And and even though I can't talk about those and I, and I have to, I have to compartmentalize my brain so I don't let one of those things slip in and get myself in trouble. But, but from the open source intelligence, we know that these officers on the line all the way up to and including lieutenants that day were screaming into that ra- their radio saying, what is the plan? What is the plan? We need help. We need to know they're, they're begging for information. And their command, their top-level command person on that radio was silent the entire day. She did not speak up. Ms. Pittman did not speak up till 2 p.m. And at exactly 2 o'clock on January 6th, you heard her voice for the first time. And she said, and I quote, at this time, we're ordering a lockdown of the Capitol building. Lockdown the Capitol building. Well, as soon as she said that... The very next response on the radio was from uh, the United States Capitol Police Inspector Tom Lloyd, who actually quite derisively said and responded to her, that was done a long time ago because he himself had ordered the lockdown of the building an hour earlier. How could she not know that, Dan? How, if, was she, is she that incompetent that she was unaware of what was taking place on the ground? Well, there are only two explanations or answers for it, Steve. One is That's that, correct. as you said, she was incompetent. The second is there were orders coming from somewhere else that said don't intervene. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's all that's left, Dan, when you, when you parse this all out and you ask all the questions. And, and we always, and I think even you and I have talked about this before, you always want to first come down on the side of government incompetence before you get to government um, malfeasance or malevolence. And <laughs> I'm, it I'm, is, it, I, it, 
I'm opposite of that because <laughs> this was a House Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, falderall. I came down on what did Pelosi do this time? Yeah, I think the well, conspiracy and that, and that, thing. I think the conspiracy thing fits here. But isn't that where our government has now led us, especially in the last three years, since especially since COVID came to town, is is just we automatically knee jerk to the side of malevolence instead of just what should be, because we know the larger the government, the more incompetent it's going to be, and in this particular case her own officers. Now this, this is a very, very interesting situation here. So not only was she either a incompetent or malevolent on the day, but her own officers, those in her command, vastly, uh, we're talking about 92% of those voted uh, in a uh, union vote, no confidence vote for uh, Ms. Pittman. Now this was further, uh, let's just say it gets more interesting because the day after January 6th, Stephen Sun, who was the Capitol Police, uh, the chief of police at the time, was forced to resign. And she being the number two, she immediately became the acting chief for about six months. And she did not get that job permanently because of that no confidence vote. She had 92% of her officers gave her a no confidence vote based on her performance that day. And as a result of that, as I said, she did not get the permanent position as chief of police of the United States Capitol Police, but she was given her old job back as the assistant chief um, and uh, over heading over intelligence, the intelligence and protective services. So she did get her job back, which she held until December. I actually, technically she's still um, in that position right now. But on February 1st, she has a brand new job and she has been now hired as the chief of police for the University of California at Berkeley, the most, maybe the most liberal school in America, certainly one of the most liberal, far left, progressive communities in America. It's a subdivision, as you know, Berkeley basically is a um, community uh, of or a uh, suburban area of, of San Francisco. And we know where Miss Pelosi comes from. We also know who she's related to, uh, which is Governor uh, Gavin Newsom out there, who also happens to sit on the Board of Regents of University of California at Berkeley. And Miss Pittman has not just only been given a cushy job out on the West Coast, 3,000 miles away from where she... Um, or they say screwed the pooch on January 6th. But more importantly than that, when you look at the brand new final release from the January 6th House Select Committee, 850 pages, their final, you know, the stamp from the committee, Miss Cheney and all the others. Guess whose name does not appear in that report at all? That in the dump of Twitter tweets that you put out last night was the most alarming thing to me. I mean, not because of her, but because of our government, because of Nancy Pelosi, because of uh, nobody, not a single witness in those committee hearings was cross-examined. It was all a charade. 
it was all something that happens in places like, oh, I don't know, Russia. And it's happening right here in the United States. What do you think this, her name not being in any of the documents, not called to testify, never anybody, even those that came that were working there that did perform as witnesses, her name wasn't mentioned. You would think the officers that were uh, testifying, the very fact that you said they did a no-confidence vote, 92% of those officers voted that she was not good at her job, at least that day. Her name wasn't even mentioned. What is that all about? What do you think it's all about? Um, again, Dan, we, we have to, we have to draw conclusions because we don't know the, the actual truth the final answer yet. We're looking for it. We think we know what it is. We think that we know that Pittman is the key to Pelosi. Uh, I'm, I'm convinced of that. And that was the reason why that she was completely whitewashed out of the uh, house select committee's report and now shipped off to the other side of the country to a cushy job, probably with a, you know, twice the salary as such. And, and this is her, this is her payoff, uh, to live comfortably on the West coast and in the sunshine there, uh, with, with a, a university job, low pressure in a, uh, highly, highly progressive uh, community and, um, serve out her days quietly and uh, protecting the secrets that she knows, because that's the, that's the question. What did she know and when did she know it? Just like we've heard that question before about so many other things. And the bottom line is, is that Ms. Pittman knew about the dangers that were coming that day. She knew she was warned by multiple agencies. There's a coalition of those agencies that, that, that put these uh, papers together and put this information, put these warnings together and they send them out. They were received by her. They were received as the, as the head of intelligence, they were on her desk and she claimed in multiple other hearings and testimonies that she did uh, participate in that she had sent those to her down level commanders. And those commanders also under testimony under oath said, no, I never got it. Okay. Where does this go from here? Well, um, <laughs> where, where it goes for me and, and those who I'm working with right now, it, as you said at the top of this um, interview, that this just brings up more questions. And that's what we're in the middle of right now. We're chasing down now the answers to those other questions. And as I said, I, 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 but I've, I've not, I'm not new on this train at all. I wrote this on February 24th of 2021, just six weeks after 20, uh, after January 6th, I wrote an article entitled who was up the chain on January 6th. And I pointed one finger at Nancy Pelosi and I pointed one finger at Chuck, uh, at, um, uh, Mitch McConnell. Uh, and that was, and I wrote that back in, in, uh, you know, almost two years ago now. And I, and, and that's one aspect of January 6th that my mind has not changed on. I have, I have, changed my mind and my perspective, my perspective, uh, on a lot of aspects of January 6th, because as you get more information, more data, more video, you have more evidence. If, if you're, if you're an honest broker, you have to go with what you're seeing with your own eyes. And I've done that on many, on many aspects of that day. 
But the one thing I have not changed my mind on is who manipulated or who allowed this thing to happen to that day. And I think that, I think that right now, I think we're on the right path. I think Pittman is the key to Pelosi and we're going to, we're going to chase this one for, um, well, very, very, very doggedly. I think this for me, the January 6th, everything that happened that day that we know that happened, that we were told that happened and the reasoning, um, this just jumps to the top of that column for me. The other one, and you and I have never discussed this. And if you, if you don't think we should right now, be sure and tell me (laughs) the killing of Ashley Babbitt. She was the only person that that day as a direct result of the insurrection acts, whatever you want to call it. Uh, she was in the Capitol. She was unarmed. She was breaking through one of those walls that are put up that are, you know, part glass, part wood. She was breaking in, following some people, and the cop, the Capitol Police cop, from behind her, shot her from behind her. The bullet severed her carotid uh, carotid artery, and she bled out on the floor. Now, the coroner of Washington, D.C., he made the official cause of death homicide. We've never heard any explanation plausible at all for the shooting, and of course, the policeman was never even investigated. That's my whoops on the other column. So I've got two now, and I will dance at your next wedding if you can give me the answer someday for both of those. (laughs) Well, I will. I can. I can speak with a lot of authority, unfortunately, about Ashley Babbitt's death and uh, the officer who shot her, Lieutenant Michael Bird. This is something that I spent as much or more time related to January 6th than anything else because I am the last civilian to see Ashley Babbitt alive. And we can get into that story here or we can just direct people to my Rumble video and I can show it to you. But I was there with the FBI medics and their uh, tactical SWAT team when they were trying to save her life because they had moved her downstairs to the south exit of the Capitol building uh, to to try and, and save her. And so they had picked her up and carried her down those stairs from where she was shot. And this was the area where I was, and this is not humorous. It's just, the, it was the fact of the day. I had been, you know, on the Capitol grounds that, that day for quite a few hours. And I was looking for no more complicated than the fact I was just looking for a public restaurant somewhere. And I had asked a Capitol police officer, was there one anywhere near and she told me that she was not familiar with that part of the building, but I was welcome to go downstairs and look. So I found myself in a section of the Capitol by myself completely looking for a restroom. And then a officer, another female USCP officer came up and took me by my right arm. And she came up to me and she said, can I safely escort you out of the building? And I said, do I need to be? She said, yes, sir, you do. And I said, okay, that's fine. Cause I'm obviously not going to resist. I wasn't there that, that day to resist anybody in any way they're doing journalism so as she's walking me down this long hallway towards the south exit on the lower level of the capitol and i'll skip over a lot of the details of that story but on my left it came up in my vision immediately that about six feet from me was this tactical unit working on what i thought was a man because i couldn't see 
They had their hands on her chest, even though the, the, uh, the, the shirt was off. And there was a tremendous amount of blood there on the floor. And I, all I could see was a pair of jeans and, uh, you know, several men's hands working on trying to save somebody. And I shot my head back around to the officer who was on my right side. Babbitt was being worked on to my left. And I asked the officer, I said, is he shot? She said, yes, he is. I said, who shot him? She said, we did. I said, why did you shoot him? She said, he pulled a gun on us. Now, this was just in the minutes after the shooting. We know about fog of war. We know about the squawk on these radios. The radios erupted. There was a tremendous amount of disinformation that was being passed. There was a lot of confusion in the moment. And as we say, the fog of war. So she had no idea. She didn't know that we were looking at a, at a lady. And I didn't either. And I'm six feet from her. That's how, you know, that's, that's what a, you know, a pool of blood will do. And, and so, um, uh, we, we had to step aside right then because at that very moment, the EMT units were coming in. I was the only civilian there. Everybody else was either first responders, FBI, United States Capitol Police officers. That's the only people that were in, in my presence at that time. Not a single other protester or rioter or, or anybody else uh, w- was in that, that hallway. Other than Ashley so Babbitt. Stepped, other than Ashley Babbitt. That's correct. That's correct. And... Um, and so we had to step aside and allow the EMT and the gurneys uh, to, to be brought in. Well, she, the, the officer escorted me to the rest of the way to the door, and she said, you know, please be safe. I said, you too. And then, of course, knowing where I was, Dan, I knew that what must go in must come out that door. So I was actually on the south side in probably the only remaining secure police barricade at the Capitol grounds that day. And they still had their barricade secured uh, on the south side, south side door. And I was inside that barricade with the officers. So I just, um, you know, I just walked down the ramp, walked around and posted myself up right in front of that door because I knew that if the gurney went in that door, that gurney was coming out that door and I certainly was going to catch on my camera what was coming out. Still thinking it was a, a man that had been shot. 30 seconds later, the door opened. All of a sudden, you could see the heavily armed tactical units with their automatic weapons standing at the door. And then here comes the gurney, and they're working ferociously on her, pumping her chest, uh, trying to give her you know, oxygen. Um, and then I started following with my camera the, the gurney down the ramp. And for the first time, and you can hear me on my own video, I actually said something to the effect of, you know, holy crap, it's a woman. And because now I could see her bare chest. And I could see her face and I could see her blank eyes. And I knew right then that she was gone. And in fact, after I followed the gurney all the way down to where they took her and loaded her up, I then immediately stopped and I texted a couple of other uh, individuals. And I said, the shots fired, a woman's been hit. And I actually said in that text, after I saw the gurney pass me, I said, she's not going to make it. Of course, I didn't learn until an hour or so later that that in fact, uh, someone had died that day. But uh, I am the guy that saw it. So you can imagine the emotional impact that it had on me that day. And as a result of that, how intensely I have followed the story of her killing since then. So that's a long setup to begin answering your questions about the Ashley Babbitt shooting, if you want to go there or or if you want to save it for another day. Why don't we do this? Um, I think there's so much. Let let me just. I'm going to go back up to the top and tell you my thoughts. I think this entire incident, and I'm going to make it just one incident with t- 
tons of other sub-incidents. But I think it is rising to the level because of the unknown things that you and I don't know, but there are a lot of people that do know. It rises to the level of the assassination of former President JFK, John F. Kennedy. Mm. We may be 25, 30, 40 years from now if you and I are still around on this show saying, what about that January 6th thing? I don't think we'll ever get all the answers, but I do believe there is someone and probably a group of someones that have all the answers. We just don't have well, access to them. Have, yeah. Have you seen that the committee is now wanting to seal their testimonies? For 20 years? Yes. The House Select Committee. So it is like a JFK event. Of yeah. course, those those records are still sealed uh, here now 60 years later. Yeah. Buddy, I appreciate all of your hard work. And now that we have gotten this chapter, I'm just going to ask you on the way out the door today, when are you going to give us the other stuff that you <laughs> have teased us about now for three days, when's it coming? Well, I'll I'll I'll, I'll tell you what's going to have to happen in order for us to do that. Okay, and it's not uh, any, it's not any more complicated than this. We are going to have to bring a couple of somebody's under whistleblower protection, or we have to get some of this evidence into through the discovery process in some of these upcoming trials. We have to get that into that process, and therefore it then becomes public record because there's a witness on the stand or there's evidence that we are handing, we're, we're showing, we're showing this stuff to the, the, some of these legal teams. And I can tell you right now that in my discussions just a few days ago with one of those attorneys, they are contemplating issuing a subpoena to uh, Ms. Pittman and having her testify in this particular trial. So um, if that happens, then that's going to, that just itself, opens up so much more to us because if, 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 for instance, if Pittman is then given uh, a subpoena and she obviously has to respond and then whatever judge is overseeing that trial allows that testimony to go forward, she's going to be presented evidence about her activities that day, which means then those radio transmissions, which have never been made public, will have to be made public. That means also now they, the judge could limit that. He could limit it to just what she said between 2 o'clock and 2.08 p.m. on the day and still block out the rest of it. But it's possible that we can get the entire radio transmission into evidence. It's possible we can get the entire transcript of those radio transmissions into evidence. If that happens, oh man, that opens up a world of hurt for the Department of Justice, for the FBI, for the United States Capitol Police, for Yogananda Pittman and others. And that's what we hope to, um, to see accomplished. If we can do that, then we can start talking about it publicly. So it's going to have to, it's going to have to be either um, one of those two things, whistleblower or this information being placed into evidence in one of the trials. Or you and I can just get on a conference call with Elon Musk and let him tell us what really went on. He seems, <laughs> he seems to know about everything. Hey, listen, man, thank you so much for coming yeah. back today and sharing this with us. And not only did you give us a bunch of facts, but you whet our appetites as you do 
every Tuesday. So you'll be coming back this coming Tuesday, and you're going to have some more information to pass along. Maybe not about this, I would, but I would maybe say about a good something. chance. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. Well, well buddy, happy New Year, Dan, and happy New Year to everyone that's listening today. Same to you. Have a great weekend, and we've got a bunch of new listeners, principally because of you from uh, Victoria, British Columbia. <laughs> but on your way out oh, of the show, you need to say hello to your buddies in Langley, Virginia, because they're back today. Yeah. How many do we have from Langley today? Three now. Just three. Okay, so we don't All have right. four pages like we had one no. day in the call. Hey, buddy, have a great weekend. We'll, we'll see you Tuesday. You're fighting back the tidal wave of deceit, lies, spin, and ignorance with TNN. The Truth News Network. Juice drinks, sodas, and sports drinks are loaded with added sugars and calories and have little or no nutritional value. Sugary drinks can destroy teeth, cause obesity, and lead to type 2 diabetes. Sugar bites. Protect your kids. Does it matter to you that all our chefs are well-trained? Or that our kitchens are both SLSI and GMP certified? That we freshly bake goodies throughout the day? Well, it matters to us to know that your family will enjoy every bite. At Kiehl's, we're fresh because of what we do. But more than that, we're fresh because of you. Playing football, you run up to 120 pitches. You work out 650 muscles. You withstand three times your body weight. You treble your adrenaline production. You raise your heartbeat to 180 times per minute. And in the end, you lose up to three liters of sweat for one goal. This game is not a game. Gatorade works with no artificial colors or sweeteners. You know, I'm an inquisitive kind of guy. My uh, my family members, they will tell you, Dad's always looking for something under the couch. <laughs> That's just another way of phrasing it. Dad's always trying to find out what's really going on behind things. But I got to take a back seat to our good friend Steve Baker because I got to be honest with you. He spent hundreds and hundreds of hours It wasn't just that he was there on the grounds January 6th with that video camera also interviewing people. It wasn't just that. It was that he put it all together and that networks from other foreign countries reached out to him and much of the video that he shot that day ended up being viewed around the world on news shows, news reports about the January 6th. That's the principal reason why he is still waiting for what was promised to be a charge, federal charges, coming because of his involvement on January 6th. His lawyer was notified, and he and his lawyer went and interviewed with the FBI, and they haven't charged him yet. 
But you know what they're saying the charge is going to be about? Not about what he was doing that day as a journalist on, on the grounds, but the fact that he distributed those videos internationally. You know how the feds work. They'll always find justification for anything they want to do, even though their justification is really because they wanted to do it. Wow. I would always be looking over my shoulder. In fact, many of us do just because, and this is the worst thing that I am struggling with every day. Our government, they don't like us. They don't trust us. And they're angry if we don't agree with them lock, stock, and barrel on every issue. And more and more and more, this is coming out into the the public view with specific instances like those that Elon Musk and his Twitter files have showed us every time one of these dunks comes out. It confirms our thoughts, but it also scares me to death. Just think about this. If they're getting revealed to be doing some of the things that they've been doing, how much more is yet to be uncovered? People like Elon Musk, people like Steve Baker, they're putting themselves right in the middle of it. Elon Musk has put $44 billion of his own dollars in play for this at the purchase of Twitter. He didn't have to release any of those files, any of those tweets. He didn't have to release any of that. He could have just fallen in line and been a good subject of the U.S. federal government and just let things slide. But you know what he proved to me by doing what he's done so far? He, now he's from South Africa. Here's a guy that isn't native-born. He is a U.S. citizen. But he's saying, I believe in the First Amendment. And I don't believe in a government taking advantage of its people, especially by violating the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. There is so much stuff going on around us, and we only see just a little bit of it. But that's one thing we do here every day. We try to find things, the important things, that are really important to you and to all of us that in many cases are being hidden. And those kind of things are not just happening in the United States of America. We very seldom talk about the internal things that are going on in Russia. But there are some big things that have sometimes stuff to do with us. There's been another sudden death of one of those top Russian military officials. I think this is the fourth. Alexei Maslov, who was the former commander-in-chief of Russia's ground forces, turned special representative for the military corporation, which specializes in battle tanks, was reported to have unexpectedly died at a military hospital on Christmas Day at the age of 70. The company took to Telegram to announce his death and said he remains faithful to Russia until his last day. So what was he doing? Well, Maslow 
who was reportedly born in the Kursk region, neighbors northern Ukraine, and he entered the Army before graduating from the Kharkiv Guards Higher Tank Command School back in 1974, nearly two decades before the fall of the Soviet Union. Now that means he was getting involved in politics back when it was the Red Soviet Union, before the wall came down in Berlin. By 2008, he became Russia's chief military representative to NATO. No explanation surrounding his death, though he appeared to die in Moscow at a military clinical hospital over a thousand miles west of the plant where he allegedly worked in the city of Tagil. Some reports suggested Russian President Putin was supposed to visit the tank manufacturing plant on Christmas Eve, but unexpectedly canceled his plans, though I couldn't yet be independently verified. Maslov's death also followed the unexpected passing of 67-year-old Alexander Buzikov, the general director of the United Shipbuilding Corporation, Admiralty Shipyards, which produces carriers for Calibre cruise missiles, among others. According to its website, Admiralty Shipyards has been described as the foundation of Russia's Navy, and Busikov reportedly attended the launch of the new submarine Veliki in St. Petersburg on Friday. Busikov championed the submarine as an important step forward for Russia's naval ability. Now, why are you bringing us this information, Dan? Just to let you know, there are some shady, unexplained things going on over there. And we just went through about 25 minutes of the same kind of stuff happening in the United States. We're supposed to be the freest and the most powerful nation on the planet. We have a massive media underground. And when I say underground, I'm talking about the infrastructure of Americans' media. It's vast. We have all kinds of media operations. We have media operations that are going on that you and I don't even know about. But it's all supposed to be for the purpose of keeping us informed, factually informed, about the important things in our lives that are happening around us. Now, we hear a bunch of stuff. We hear stuff every day, all the time. Factually? Uh, I don't know about that. (laughs) Washington Post, remember, gave our president three Pinocchios, which means he lied three times over. Sometimes we don't like what we see. Sometimes we don't like what we hear. But we're Americans. We have the right and the ability to see the good, to see the bad, and to draw our own conclusions. Now, Elon, we just mentioned him, he has stepped in about a Russian thread on apocalyptic predictions for 2023. And Elon says they're absurd. Deputy Chair of the Security Council of the Russian Federation, Dmitry Medvedev, made some absurd but also humble predictions for the world in 2023 in a very long Twitter thread 
on Monday. Elon Musk felt the thread was epic, so here's what it had to say. Medvedev said the thread was our humble contribution to those making the wildest, most absurd New Year's predictions. It started with oil price will rise to $150 a barrel. Gas price will top $5 per 1,000 cubic meters. It's unclear who else Medvedev is speaking for in the thread, but the predictions are far from humble. Further forecasts included Great Britain rejoining the European Union, which will collapse after its return and end the euro. From here, Poland and Hungary will occupy the western regions of what was once Ukraine, and a fourth Reich will be created across Germany, Poland, the Baltics, Czechia, Slovakia, and other satellite territories. Apparently, this fourth Reich will go to war with France and Europe, will become fully divided. So, he weighed in about us. Over here in the U.S., Medvedev thinks we're headed for civil war. California and Texas will become independent states, with the latter forming an alliance with Mexico. (laughs) Okay, this does sound a bit ridiculous, but crazier things have happened in our history Musk will win the presidential election. Medvedev, he he forecasted that. But that's not going to happen until after the end of our civil war. All the largest stock markets and financial activity will leave the U.S. and Europe and move to Asia. The Bretton Woods system of monetary management will collapse, leading the IMF and World Bank crash. Euro and dollar will stop circulating as a global reserve currencies. Digital fiat currencies will be actively used instead. I believe he's getting that right. I believe we're all going digital. Medvedev concluded his thread by wishing season's greetings to all Anglo-Saxon friends and their happily oinking piglets. (laughs) He said that. Those are Medvedev's prediction for 2023. Now, while Elon Musk, he probably finds that Twitter thread epic and absurd, I think Medvedev just released Russia's plan for 2023. Some folks are going to assume it to be a joke, but if we've learned anything in the last two years, it's that we have no idea what is happening in this world thanks to the elites that we allow to govern us. They hide stuff. Sometimes we find out about it, but it's never coming to us through the front door. If we find out about a bunch of it, it's through people like Elon Musk. Russia's leadership already sees our country as a joke, thanks to the far leftist woke nonsense that's destroying us from the inside out. So why couldn't Medvedev's predictions come to pass. It's not like we're really doing anything right now to stop it. We're all too busy hating each other to pay attention to our common enemies. I thought I'd throw that in there today. I think it kind of fits, don't you? I told you at the top of the show that we were going to end the show today with one of our greatest bards from Louisiana. Who might that be? 
Phil Robertson of the Duck Dynasty family. You know them. They had that great show that went on for years and years, and it had massive ratings. Phil Robertson is really an orator of sorts, but he is truly Louisianian. And he had some very, very credible, important words for us all. I'm going to share them with you. So, now we come to the secret of it all. I talked to you last time. I told you about the things you should think about and the things you should not think about. You forget what's behind and you move forward. Whatever, if you're a son or daughter of God, whatever happened in the past, it is over. You are a new creation. You've been born again of water and the spirit. You put your faith in the death of Jesus, his burial and resurrection. You're one of the eternal ones. You'll live forever. It's yours. Don't get tangled up in what went on back in your past. Get on past it and move forward and don't look back. Move forward. Now, watch this. Philippians 4, let's start with about verse 11. Start with verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you've renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you've been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. He's talking to the church at Philippi. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. 2,000 years later, I'm telling you folks the same thing. There's nothing you have that I won't. (laughs) I don't need what others have. For I have learned, this is what you need to learn as you move forward as a son or daughter of God. Make sure you learn this. It's not going to come out of thin air. It only comes within those who have the Spirit of God in them. I've learned to be content. Y'all are sitting here. You're watching me. I'm seated in my living room. I'm fixing to go cut a beaver dam. You say, you're not worried about all of this stuff, the news media and Joe Biden stumbling around, murmuring this and that and the other, incoherent, and the news pundits, and they've taken sides and they're hollering about socialism and this and that and the other. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I don't pay that stuff any mind. I I, I, I know no mind. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned, and check this out, the secret. And boy, is it a secret. Well, after today, you folks will know what the secret is. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty 
or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. You get everything in the rearview mirror. All of your sinful ways up to the time you ran up on Jesus. You come to Jesus. You're a new creation. You are guided by the spirit of the almighty God in heaven. Life and immortality is yours. Calm down. I asked Miss Kay, I said, what's the most, how many times have you heard me say in the last 50 years, Miss Kay, calm down. She said more than I can count. She said, I've been hearing you say that, but wait, calm down. It'll pass. Move forward. Move forward. Move forward. People get inside themselves and their past haunts them and things they've done makes them, they're crushed, crushed in spirit. You have to move forward. Bad things happen to good people all the time. Learn from it, grow from it, and move on. You can be content whatever the circumstances, but you have to apply this. Think about this. Pray to God about this. Move, move. Reach out to your neighbor. There are a lot of people in worse shape than you are. So that's Philippians chapter 4. Read that and live by it. Now, what was it? Uh, 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. I'll give you a couple more. 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. Godliness with contentment. Go back from that. 1 Timothy 6, start in verse 5. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and the godly teaching... He's conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and arguments that result in evil, quarreling, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt minds who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, we're content enough. Doesn't take much to keep us happy. That's the way we say it in Louisiana. Thank you, Phil Robertson. What a version of the reality of life. The actual scripture, he was talking about contentment. It was Paul, the Apostle Paul, and he was speaking to that church in Philippi. And he was talking about people struggling, trying to get stuff, gain stuff that they don't have. And in the King James Version, 
Here's what Paul said. I find whatsoever state I am in to be content. Now think about that. He didn't say be happy. He said, I'll be content. Forget about the rearview mirror stuff. Oh, you learned something from it, and every once in a while, you may want to think back about it, but don't think back about it and fret and worry. Just look at it as a lesson you learned. Draw from it. Grow from it. But for today, find whatsoever state you're in, therein, to be content. Hey, thanks, folks, for joining us on Thursday. Steve Baker, thank you so much, buddy, for coming on. He'll be back with us Tuesday. But for you, we're back tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Central, 9 to 11, at TNN Live. We'll see you then. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network.